Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Huge weekend, uh, San Diego Comic Con, a lot of Kevin Feige on stage, and a lot of Marvel announcements. Um, Post All Star break, we have these upcoming two days. Tuesday and Wednesday, Yankees-Mets meeting for the first time this season. Of course, both of them top five teams in baseball. Yankees have the best record. Mets have the fourth best record behind the Yankees, Dodgers, and Astros. Um, so we'll get to break that da- uh, break down that series just a bit. And I have one movie review, like super short. We'll leave it to the end. The Gray Man didn't get to see Nope yet. I'm going to be seeing it this week, uh, probably Thursday. Won't do, I might, you know, next week I'll have a a couple of my thoughts on the movie, but mostly uh, keep it very brief again, just because it'll have been out for like two weeks at that point. So whatever. But I have heard good things about Nope, of course. Uh, Jordan Peele is his third movie. I really loved Get Out. I think everyone can, I think everyone would agree with me in saying that Get Out was definitely better than us. Um. Although I think I would say Us is a is like more creepy than Get Out. Get Out was like very unnerving, and then at the very end, obviously, it was like this crazy twist with all these weird psychological things going on, and like the the brain swapping or whatever was very strange. Uh, what was brain swapping? What are the white people in black bodies? Was just it was bizarre, obviously. Um, and then Us was, like, more horror, like, slasher movie, whereas Get Out was, like, the suspense just kept building and building in, in terms of, like, what is happening. And then Us was definitely more, like, in-your-face, um, people dying, creepy underworld thing going on. Nope. I've seen some reviews. Um, a lot of it. It seems to be like a more uppity movie, you know, like it, there's definitely some weird things going on, but, uh, even from the coming attractions, it definitely seems like a more laid back film, whereas Get Out and Us seemed very high tension. Uh, this movie definitely seems to be a little bit more lighthearted and comedic than the other two, but obviously with still weird, uh, elements of like extraterrestrial stuff, of course. and. Uh, like psychological things. So I'm I'm looking I'm really looking forward to seeing it and how it stacks up with the other two. Uh but it's hard to beat Get Out, obviously, just because that was his first movie and it was just so good. So I'm not holding it to those standards of the other movies. I'm going in with an open mind, kind of a blank slate. Cause it definitely seems like it's completely different from the other first two movies. Less horror uh aspects to it. Okay, well, I, The Gray Man, I'll talk about at the end of the podcast just very briefly, like maybe five minutes. So nothing too crazy on that front. Um, we will start with the Mets and Yankees and uh, baseball as a whole. We'll talk about a little bit. And then we will talk about San Diego Comic-Con and Marvel, the rest of Phase 5 and 6 that they've announced, pretty much giving us the entire timeline for this new saga of movies, which I I don't know, man. It's very, it's very interesting because 
People are saying, well, there's no definitive direction that it's going in. And even I said that at some point. And now basically they've laid out the entire blueprint and it seems like it's going really fast, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but some people do because you can't please everyone. But anyway, Mets, Yankees, uh, they get to play these two games at City Field on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton actually just got sent to the 10-day IL, which is uh, horrible, obviously, for the Yankees. Achilles tendonitis is what he landed on the 10-day IL for. Uh, they recall Tim LaCastro from AAA, which LaCastro has actually played really well for the Yankees. He provides a huge spark off the bench. But you would imagine uh, Matt Carpenter is going to be getting uh, playing time in the outfield or maybe even as a DH. Uh, well, definitely as a DH. He's been getting a lot of playing time. Guy has been raking. Like, what an absolute gem of a pickup that the Yankees had with Matt Carpenter. He has been big time for them, man. Like a huge, huge addition to that lineup, uh, especially with Joey Gallo struggling. It provides another option to replace with him. Um, it gives Aaron Hicks the opportunity. He doesn't have to play every day. And it's sad, but like, those are things that the Yankees, I don't know if they're going to be able to address that, the trade deadline. Um, it doesn't really feel like they're in on Juan, on buying in Juan Soto, you know, and, and just trading the house for him. Uh, but Matt Carpenter, I think, is a guy that has been, like, those are the kind of acquisitions and the kind of uh, production an addition that you get off the bench as a guy who he's not going to play every day, but he's going to play enough where if he's hitting like Matt Carpenter, you, you're going to be forced to play him every day. Like that's the kind of at bats that he puts together for the Yankees. Um, and he, he is a utility guy. You can play him in corner outfields. You could stick him at first. He provides some flexibility defensively. So those are the kinds of pickups and acquisitions that, help you win championships. And I'm not saying Matt Carpenter's the guy that puts you over the edge because he's so talented, but it's the little things. You know, it's the role players. Uh, it's the, the mid-season acquisitions that help you along the way that sometimes can make or break you. Uh, the Yankees, of course, are coming off a series win against the Baltimore Orioles where they uh, beat them 6 nothing. On Sunday, both teams did not actually know. The Mets didn't have Monday off. The Mets played the Padres, and for them, they are coming off a series loss of the Padres. They lost 4-1, 2-1, and were able to win 8-5 on Sunday. And I lied, they didn't play yesterday. I don't know why I thought they played yesterday. I'm thinking today's Monday, even though it's Tuesday. So that's my fault. But they both played Monday. They both had mon uh, They both played Sunday. They both have Monday off. My goodness. Uh, the Mets, Jolie Rodriguez definitely going to probably be riding the pine for a little bit. They were winning 8-1, 8-2 against the Padres before uh, they scored like three runs. Uh, Edwin Diaz comes in, immediately gets out of the jam, and the Mets win 8-5, so that's comforting. Uh, Diaz has been the closer that they traded for. And it was looking real rough for them for a while. Luckily, neither Justin Dunn nor Jared Kalanick has really panned out to be 
a fantastic player for the Mariners. Um, I don't even think Kellenic's in the big leagues right now, right? Or he might be now. He might be back. Uh, but he was sent down to AAA for a little bit. So he's, he's been struggling to put it together. And Edwin Diaz has finally become like a one of the best closers in the game, really. I think he has, since 2014, he has the second highest strikeout percentage for a closer. The only one higher is 2014, is Chapman. It's like 52% of the batters he faces, he strikes out. So that's what you love to see from your closer, of course. Guys not even putting the ball in play more than half the time. And Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor, they've all been having really good seasons. Like, you can't say enough about the Mets, especially with some of the injuries that they've faced. Um, Max Scherzer went down for a few weeks. Obviously, Jacob deGrom hasn't even thrown a single pitch in the big leagues yet. He's going through... I think his fourth rehab start in the minor leagues. So ideally, he should be up soon. Like within the next two weeks, I would expect him to make his first start in the MLB because he's in there in the minor leagues <laughs> doing these rehab starts and he's throwing like four or five uh, innings of no hit baseball practically. I think his first rehab start, he went down through three innings and struck out like uh, seven or eight of the nine batters he faced. So he's he's dealing. Like he's throwing hard. His velocity's there. I think he's still throwing like 98, 99 miles an hour. Um, he's obviously a beast. And I don't blame the Mets one bit for kind of slow rolling him back into the major leagues because honestly... The longer you wait at this point, probably the better because, you know, knock on wood for all Mets fans, I don't want to jinx you or anything, but the Mets all, but they have a playoff spot locked up at the very least. Like they are currently leading their division and it's only by two games. But if you look at uh, the wild card, Atlanta is up six and a half games. For that first place wildcard spot. Then you have San Diego who's four games back of them. And they have a two and a half game lead on St. Louis. Philly is there in half a game for that third spot. Um, But those teams are 50 and 46. 51 and 46 are St. Louis and Philly. San Diego who the Mets just dropped two of three to. They're 54 and 44. And then obviously Atlanta is 58 and 40. So they're doing very well. But. The Mets would have, even if they were to kind of slide a little bit and Atlanta jumps them for the NL East lead, like they still have a very comfortable lead in that wild card spot. Very, very clearly, you want the NL East title, so you don't have to participate in the wild card nonsense. Um, and they're they're looking great. Like they're a top five team in baseball right now. So all of that considered. Why would you rush Jacob DeGrom back? Like, take as much time as you need to slow roll him back because ideally, you bring him, let's say you bring him back in the beginning of August, second week of August, let's say he's back back late in a couple weeks, second week of August. He's only going to be pitching for two months and then the playoffs start. So his arm is going to be fresh he's going to get enough work in during the regular season to ideally find 
a nice groove for himself. And then he's going into October with a fresh arm. His velocity is going to be crazy. Um, he'll, he'll be healthy. Ideally, for the rest of the season, you won't have to worry about longevity stuff or his innings pitched or any of that nonsense. Uh, you could just send him out there and not have to worry. And that's kind of a blessing. You know, you, you've been fortunate enough to have Max Scherzer and Taiwan Walker has been fantastic, of course. And you've had guys, Tyler McGill, before he went out uh, with an injury, he was pitching really well. David Peterson's even been uh, a pretty solid uh, back-end rotation starter. So the Mets have had meaningful contributions for their starting pitching. And then, of course, their offense has been pretty good. Uh, it is spotty at times, like for whatever reason, sometimes they'll put up one run, which is like pretty mind blowing. But just as an example, on Sunday, you're going against Joe Musgrove and he's pitching really well, but then you get a three run blast from Pete Alonso and suddenly you're feeling pretty good. You know, it's those types of moments that have really helped the Mets this season. Pete Alonso is a huge, huge key factor that he leads the uh, MLB in RBIs with 82. Aaron Judge is right behind him at 81. Uh, Judge, of course, leads the majors by a significant amount of home runs, 37. I think second is Kyle Schwarber with 30. He's second in RBIs. He's, I think, second in slugging behind Jordan Alvarez. He's third in OPS behind Alvarez and Goldschmidt. So, Judge and Alonzo, Pete Alonzo, by the way, Offense aside, he's been unbelievable at first base. Like, really, really, really can tell that he has put in a ton of work defensively and making sure that he is a guy that is, much like Aaron Judge, not only known for his power and his bat, but also to be a reliable and plus defender. And Pete Alonso. Statistically, I'm not sure if he's like a quote-unquote plus defender if you want to get into the analytics of it, but I'm not worried about him at first base. And I think that was a big knock on him coming up was that he's really not that good of a first baseman. I remember there was even talks of Dom Smith being a guy that could possibly take Alonzo's spot at first base because Dom Smith was a very good defensive first baseman and they were playing him in the outfield and he wasn't a good outfielder, but they didn't want to take at bats away from Pete Alonso because there was no DH. And now that there was the DH, it could be that Alonso would be relegated to that DH spot. He said he didn't want to be just a DH. He wanted to play the field as well. And Dom Smith has essentially played himself out of that running because he's just has not been very good. Um, some would say he's been downright awful. <laughs> and Pete Alonso has been anything but. So he has really cemented himself as a good high-quality starting first baseman, defensively speaking. Um, both are MVP candidates. I think in terms of odds, MLB posted this the other day. I don't remember what sportsbook gave the odds, but for some goddamn reason, Shohei Otani has taken the lead in terms of favorites for the AL MVP. I still think it has to be Judge. There's just, ah, there's just no way it can't be Judge. You know, there's just no way. And Alonzo, I believe, is third or fourth. He's top five MVP, but I believe um, Goldschmidt still in the lead and Machado's up there. Uh, so he might be third. 
it's third or fourth, but both of them are getting significant MVP pushes. And if you remember last year between these two teams, nine they had a, a three-game set. I think it was three games. It might have been two, but one of them was on 9-11, uh, the 20th anniversary of such horrible events. These two teams, they had battles, and they had that one game where it was just a slugfest through and through. Homer after Homer, I think Lindor homered three times, Judge homered, Stan homered, I believe, too. Uh, it was a lot of long balls. Like, they certainly put on a show for everyone. Um, they were wearing the FDNY and NYPD hats, which was great. Uh, after Pete Alonso, I give him a ton of credit for really pushing that on the MLB and saying, we should be able to do this, we should be able to do this. He was definitely at the forefront of that movement, so... Uh, I appreciate from that. He's not even from New York. I think he's from Florida. So for him to have that kind of like adopted New Yorker passion for that was was really nice to see. Uh, but the series the last year, these two teams were very different. Obviously, the Mets didn't make the playoffs and the Yankees didn't particularly have a good year and they got smacked up by the Red Sox in the wild card game. So all in all, not really a great season for either team obviously yeah you could say well the Yankees made the playoffs sure but they got trounced by the Red Sox which is probably worse than just not making the playoffs is to play in the wild card game and get smacked up by your division rival <laughs> I would almost have rather not played that game but the Mets again didn't make the playoffs this year both teams top of the league uh They've had good pitching, good pitching, good offense. Uh, the bullpens have been good as well. Like they really, not many flaws in either team. I think this will be the close one. Like I really feel like the Mets are probably just gonna tee off on Domingo Herman. He had in the second game. He had such a horrible, horrible first start uh, of the season after replacing Severino against the Astros. Like always high intensity games against the Strohs. Um obviously there's history even though it's uh been a while and the Astros have almost completely turned over like they're barely even the same team. I think the only guys that are still there Springer and uh not Springer, uh Altuve and Gurriel. So maybe no, not even Kyle Tucker I don't think, but they're still very good and and the Yankees are also very good. Um the Astros own the series, the season series against the Yankees. So Herman going in there into that like high leverage game and getting teed off on probably didn't feel great for him. Um, he's not a great dude, so I, I would imagine he's not going to be anyone anywhere near a playoff roster when the time comes uh, for the Yankees. Like ideally, everyone's healthy. So I think the only thing that the Yankees may have going for them is that Scherzer is liable to give up home runs when he pitches because he doesn't pitch around people. Like, he will go right after hitters with his fastball, with his slider. Um, he doesn't care. So when he does get aggressive, if he misses with that fastball, he is liable to give up the long ball. That's probably the only negative you can say about him. Garrett Cole is the same exact way. Like, Garrett Cole goes after hitters, um, and he throws hard. So if he leaves a fastball that's not down enough, um, 
or not up enough and it catches too much of the middle of the zone, a player who makes contact with it, it goes a long way because he throws very hard. The same thing applies to Max Scherzer. So that's the only thing I can really point out in that matchup that the Yankees might have going to their advantage because they do have a lot of long ball hitters. So if they make contact, hopefully it goes a long way. But Scherzer versus Herman is definitely the most lopsided matchup. Uh, Jordan, the first game, which is Tuesday night. So by the time you listen to this, that have already been decided. We'll see if I'm right or not. But Taiwan Walker and... Jordan Montgomery, Montgomery's a, a big lefty. He gets notoriously very low run support from the Yankees, who obviously have a very high potent uh, offense and score a lot of runs. It just so happens that most of their runs come when Montgomery is not on the mound for whatever reason. So I don't know what's gonna what Yankee lineup's gonna show up tonight. Taiwan Walker has been very very good this year. Like Walker is. Seven and two with a two five five ERA, ninety one innings pitch. Jordan Montgomery's just three and two, a hundred eight and a third innings pitched. Three two four ERA. Their whips are almost identical. One hundred five for Montgomery, one hundred nine for Walker. Uh, but you just see Montgomery's record. You, that's just a reflection. Not that wins losses for a pitcher really mean much anymore in this era of baseball. Um, but three and two, like it just shows that he really isn't getting many decisions because in most games, uh, the Yankees either score late or, and he ends up getting the no decision or, uh, there are many times where they blew a lead. So mostly it's just like, he'll leave the game down two nothing or down one, nothing or down two to one or something like that. And then the Yankees will score a couple runs, win the game. Montgomery gets the no decision because he left down a run or two runs but there haven't been many games this year where Montgomery has just pitched like horrendously gives up four five six runs and the Yankees are kind of like trying to crawl back but never really could there's not many of those he usually keeps them in the game Taiwan Walker's split finger has been outstanding this year he's had a couple of really really outstanding starts um and he's been very reliable easily the second most reliable pitcher behind Max Scherzer this year. So all in all, uh gonna be an exciting series. I would imagine these games run up quite a few runs. So uh we'll see what happens. They play again in a month in late August, and ideally they play sometime in October for a World Series. Uh don't care what anyone else would say. I think that would be the most intriguing World Series that we could possibly get. In other news, of course, so much to talk about with San Diego Comic-Con this past weekend. Kevin Feige took the stage and essentially laid out every single thing that's going to be coming all the way to the end of Phase 6. So they dubbed it, we are in uh, last Phase 1, 2, and 3 with Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk, all those guys. That was the and Thanos, of course. That was the Infinity Saga, which everyone kind of knows already. But this one, phases four, five, and six, is known as the Multiverse Saga. And the Multiverse Saga will end with a two-part Avengers film, Avengers The Kang Dynasty, May 2nd, 2025, 
and Avengers Secret Wars, November 7th, 2025. Secret Wars is the big one. Uh, a lot of people are saying Doctor Doom, but the fir- if it's a two-parter, it doesn't say part one and two. There's two different subtitles. Uh, I'm imagining because they're just, whatever that is, a few months apart, it's going to be uh, a two-parter. Kind of like Infinity War and Endgame were part one and part two. Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars will be a part one and part two. A lot of people are nervous, including myself, because Secret Wars is a enormous Doctor Doom story where he becomes like a god villain. Like he, he's a god. He attains powers of a god. So if, if a lot of people are nervous that they're just going to replace Doctor Doom with Kang, I don't think that's the case. Fantastic Four is slated to come before the Kang Dynasty. Ideally, that's when Doctor Doom plays a big role. Uh, let's run through everything here. We have Ant-Man and the Wasp's Mania That comes out February of next year. Then Secret Invasion on Disney Plus, spring 2023. We'll run through the, the, uh, the 2023 slate. So Secret Invasion after, then Guardians of the Galaxy in May. Echo on Disney Plus in the summer, Loki season two in the summer, The Marvels July 2023, Blade November 2023, Ironheart is fall 2023 on Disney Plus, Agatha, uh, not Heart of Heart, whatever, Heart of Harkness, whatever they were called. It's Agatha, the Coven of Chaos is winter 2023-2024. Daredevil Born Again, the fourth season of the Netflix Daredevil show. It's being, I guess, slightly rebooted, but I believe the first three seasons are still canon. So slightly rebooted to be MCU continuity. Vincent D'Onofrio is going to be in it. Um, Daredevil is also going to appear in She-Hulk in a full uniform, which is going to be sick. So Daredevil Born Again is spring 2024. Captain America, new uh, Daredevil also already promoted. 18 episodes, so we're not going to have any of that. I don't know what the rest of these Disney Plus shows are going to be, but Daredevil, Kevin Feige said on stage, it's going to be a full 18 episodes, which means we're going to get some real, actual character development. That's longer than what the Netflix shows were, and the Netflix shows were good at 10 episodes, so 18 episodes is going to be a ton of Daredevil content, really going to use those, I would assume... 35, anywhere between 35 and 55 minutes, these episodes are going to be. Uh, if they all average around 45 minutes, that would be ideal. But 18 episodes to really flesh out Daredevil's new MCU kind of character. Again, he's also going to be in She Hulk. I don't know how much of a role he'll be in that. But uh, next is in May of 2024, Captain America, New World Order. And then in July 2024, uh, the Thunderbolts, which is going to be a movie. I thought that was going to be a show. It's a movie, July 26, 2024, because the Disney Plus shows, they just have the season and then the year, whereas the movies, they gave release dates to everything. Um, after the Thunderbolts, there is the Fantastic Four and Avengers, the Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars. So it is a ton of stuff that they released and I think there are a lot of people who are nervous because for a long time it's been you know 
we're moving. There's not. There's no sense of direction. There's, Marvel's kind of lost their way. They don't know what they're doing. Phase four is slow. Phase four is boring. Which the complaints about phase four, I think, are justified. And Kevin Feige said in the coming months, things will start to take shape. This is part of that, of course, in San Diego Comic-Con. Um, but now it seems like we have a two-part Avengers movie coming out in three years. And that's going to be, I think Secret Wars is the end. Secret Wars is the end of phase six. So. In three years, they're going to blow through phase five and blow through phase six, and it's going to be over. Whereas everyone's like, well, Infinity War took 10 years. So it's kind of annoying to say, what do you want, right? Like, do you, and I think something about Marvel that a lot of people are getting ticked off about, the CGI has not been good because there's just been a lot of stuff coming out and the CGI, a lot of CGI is used in their movies. And it's just been like, people are getting overworked. So I think. People are thinking now, oh, well, you're rushing. You can't pick, right? You can't say there's no direction. Things don't seem like there's continuity and stuff like that. And then turn around and say, well, now you're rushing it. Slow down. We don't need this much. You can't have both. You simply can't. They're giving you what you want. They, he's like, here. Here it is. Like, this is our plan. You keep, everyone keeps telling me Marvel doesn't know what they're doing. There's no continuity. There's no sense of direction. Here's the, here's the direction. This is what we're doing. Here it is. So you can't sit there and complain and be like, well, you're rushing it. He just gave you everything, man. Uh, Fantastic Four is going to be released in November of 2024. And that, again, is right before the Kang Dynasty Avengers movie, which is set to release in May of 2025. So that'll be the last Marvel movie before the two-part big Avengers event, which makes sense. Um... I guess the X-Men aren't a part of this right now. They have X-Men 97 coming out, but that's an animated show. It doesn't really count. And I mean, I mean, I'm hyped. I'm hyped. Like, this is what you've been waiting for. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what people want. Like, they've just shown everything. Um, they've shown their cards. There's, there's nothing really to hide anymore. And he's pretty much said, this is how we're going to go through phase four, five, and six. This is where, this is where we're headed. This is who's going to be involved. And it's clear to me, at least, that I also did see a leaked snippet of the uh, Ant-Man trailer for uh, Quantumania, where Ant-Man says, you messed with the wrong guy, I'm an Avenger. And Kang says, oh, really, have I killed you before? So Kang in Quantumania is going to be just, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, they're going to lose. They're going to lose in that movie, and it's, I think it's something that's a movie they're going to use, because it's the first one, I think, in Phase 5, comes out, it's the next big movie, I believe, comes out in February of next year. I don't know what movies come out before that, I don't think any. So there's quite a big gap right now for Marvel, and then they're just gonna start pumping out shit until your eyes start bleeding, and in a good way. Um, so that's phase five. Phase four, I guess, is over with Thor Love and Thunder. Phase five here, is, and I haven't even watched Miss Marvel, by the way. I really don't know if I'm going to. Uh, I, I might have to just watch it, but I'm going to watch She-Hulk. I'm not including the Disney Plus stuff. In terms of movies, I think that's it. 
Uh, but Quantumania in February of 2023 is the first movie of Phase 5. And I really think that's going to set the tone in terms of, like, they're, out, they're outgunned, the Avengers. And, and these superheroes are outgunned by Kang. I think he, Kang's going to beat the shit out of everyone in Ant-Man. Like, there's not a single hero in Ant-Man that is going to be able to tackle Kang the Conqueror. It's just not, it's just not going to be able to happen. And after that, Secret Invasion, Guardians is going to be a, an emotional movie, an emotional send-off because it's the last one in the series. The Guardians will not return after Volume 3. Uh, Echo, I'm not really sure Echo needs her own show. She could have very, especially with Daredevil being confirmed to have 18 episodes, Echo could have very easily been given her own subplot in that show. They didn't really have to go and make a whole thing for her. Uh, Loki season two is going to deal more with the fallout from season one, which essentially created Kang in the multiverse. Not essentially, it did. The actions of Loki and uh, Lady Loki in season, I forget her name, I'm sorry, but Sylvie, sorry. Sylvie in season one created Kang the Conqueror, at least took out one of his variants and created the time uh, break in the timelines. Miss Marvel, or The Marvels, excuse me, The Marvels, don't know what to make of that. Uh, Blade's gonna be fucking fire with Mahershala Ali, I'm so excited, it's probably the one that I'm most excited for is Blade, and then Ant-Man, Daredevil, and the new Captain America, Ironheart's gonna be whatever, uh, Agatha, I'm not really sure why she has her own thing, but I guess we'll find out why, Daredevil's gonna be fire, and Captain America, New World Order, to round out Phase 5 is going to be sick. And there's more to phase six than I think they're letting on. And I said, or I, I'm contradicting myself completely because I just said like not five minutes ago that Secret Wars is probably going to be the end of phase six. But that would only mean phase six has three movies because at the end there, Captain America New World Order is supposed to be the end of phase five. So phase, phase six, because when does Captain America come out? May 3rd, 2024. So if Captain America New World, or New World Order comes out in May of 2024 and then the Fantastic Four comes out in November of 2024 and then we get the Kang Dynasty Avengers movie in May 2025 and then Secret Wars, then Phase 6 is only going to be three movies, which doesn't really feel... Considering Phase... Or Phase 6 is only going to be three movies and considering Phase 5 is loaded with movies and Disney Plus shows, I can't imagine you're just going to leave Phase 6 at three movies. There has to be something after it that they're holding back from. Um, maybe we get the X-Men after the Secret Wars. We get... Uh, and, you know, none of this... This is three years' worth of movies. None of this is included. Like, There's no Spider-Man, which obviously we're getting more Spider-Man. Um, so in, after phase six and secret wars, they could introduce the symbiote to Peter. Cause that's in the comics. He gets the first time he's introduced to the black suit as Spider-Man is during secret wars. And they could very easily give him the black suit in secret wars and then have its own, uh, independent movie where he keeps the black suit and things go wrong. Yada, yada, yada. That would make for an excellent first new movie in a trilogy for spider-man 
is giving him the black suit, uh, especially after, I'm assuming a lot of time has passed. It, it could be a, a second movie. They might, I, I, I definitely think they have a plan for Spider-Man. They just haven't said anything yet because he's obviously uh, one of their marquee guys. They could easily slip in a Spider-Man movie during these three years and be like, hey, here he is. But I think what the most sense would make, given their entire lineup right now, seems pretty ironclad, is after Secret Wars, that's the third movie in Phase 6, you immediately come out with, uh, or not immediately, but maybe one, uh, two or three months after Secret Wars, you come out with a Spider-Man movie uh, about him in his black suit. That would gain a lot of traction. It would immediately pick up after Secret Wars. Uh, or you could get some type of like Fantastic Four sequel of some sort. But regardless, not Fantastic Four sequel. That wouldn't make any sense because the first one comes out in 2024. So, but, you know, they're releasing two, releasing two Avengers movies in, within six months of each other. So, uh, anyway, it's a lot. It is a, a ton of content. I'm not mad about it. The only thing I think that most people should be theorizing is the character of Doctor Doom. He's so essential to the MCU going forward. He's such a key figure in Marvel Comics. He has so many different relationships with these different characters. Obviously, Reed Richards is the relationship that carries Secret Wars the most. Um, but, and it's really at the, the forefront is a battle between Dr. Doom and Reed Richards, but he has a relationship with, uh, Maestro, I believe his name is. It's like the old Professor Hulk. Um, he's had, been shown to have a relationship with him, with Spider-Man, with the rest of the Avengers. Like, Doom is a very key figure he is a villain, no doubt, but he has some real moments in the comics where he does things that better the universe. Like, he's not just evil for evil's sake, right? He's not, he wants to be powerful, he wants to be a ruler, but there's like a chance we get a Doctor Doom who kills Kang the Conqueror because he doesn't like him. And then Doctor Doom ends up being like the villain who gains god power and stuff like that. But like he's very intelligent. He uh he's very powerful. Doctor Strange is another guy that he is known to be Doctor Doom is known to be a sorcerer on par with the Sorcerer Supreme who technically is Wong, but Doctor uh, Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom He's on par, sorcery-wise. Like, he has an incredible balance of intellect, science, magic, and physical strength that leaves him pretty much unmatched in Marvel Comics. Like, he is one of the strongest beings in the comics. Like, in terms of just humans, I'm obviously big guys like Galactus and the Celestials and those god like literal gods don't count but in terms of just humans Kang and Doctor Doom are some of the strongest that you'll come across and Doctor Doom I think is way stronger but Secret Wars is very important man like you can't just go and introduce Doctor Doom I think they're going to Thanos him in is my main point because you can't just go 
and introduce Doctor Doom in Fantastic Four, and then he comes back in like the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, and that's the only thing we see from Doctor Doom. You have to slow roll him out in the next three years. I did see that there were people who were saying, oh, uh, Doctor Doom might be behind uh, Wakanda Forever, the new Black Panther movie, where it's very obvious that they're um, paying um, uh, homage to Chadwick Boseman, and they did give a snippet. There is someone donning a Black Panther suit. The best, most educated guess is Shuri, because she has done it in the comics. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm very unfamiliar with Black Panther comics. Um, it does seem like it's going to be a highly emotional movie. One thing that I will put my hand up and say that I did not know that Namor was kind of this anti-hero, and in Wakanda Forever, it seems like he's going to be the villain of the movie. Um, per his Marvel fandom page, this is I like I I just always attributed him to be the Marvel equivalent of Aquaman. So in my mind, it's like okay, he's a good guy, like he's an ally to people. But he's very much not. Like, Aquaman is very much intact with, like, his human heritage and, like, the land people. Whereas then he becomes the king of Atlantis and, and like, grows to be their king and uh, learns to, like, balance the two. But for Namor, it sounds like, first of all, they use the M word, mutant. He's a mutant hybrid. Son of a human father and an Atlantean princess. Essentially the same origin as Aquaman. But Namor has pale skin, unlike his Atlantean brethren, who usually have blue skin, which you could see, on, see in the trailer. Uh, they also have, like, little wings on their ankles near their Achilles. Uh, to the surface dwellers, he is sometimes their ally, sometimes their enemy. For Namor's true allegiance is to Atlantis and its people. Now, something that's very interesting is why would Atlantis attack Wakanda? Also, Wakanda, I thought was in the middle of Africa, but I guess they'll go over that or, or show how exactly uh, an Atlantean who controls the ocean and water can flood Wakanda because it seems like that's what happens um, in the trailer. And also, why would Atlantis attack Wakanda? That's another big uh, thing, and that is why that is the basis of what people are saying Dr. Doom is somehow pulling the strings or could be introduced and could be pulling the strings behind the scenes to uh, spark this battle, this war between Atlantis and Wakanda. I like that theory. It definitely seems like something Doom would do. The only problem I have with any of this. Actually, I, I, I kind of even went through my mind real quick. The only thing I was going to say is, and it got brought to my attention by my friend, like, Dr. Doom is the king of Latveria. He is, it, it's rich, and he, he obviously has a good amount of wealth because of that. So someone like people in Wakanda would know what Latveria is, and they would know of Victor Von Doom. Like, he's not just going to be some guy that they don't know of. They could go that route. They they could go the route where it's like, this is Victor Von Doom. No one's ever heard of him before. Uh, 
and he's amassed a great wealth in Latveria. They could just like toss him in there and be like, yeah, he's a new dude. He hasn't been around. He's just now acquired all this wealth and power. And he could pull the strings between Atlantis and Wakanda. And the only reason why I say, well, it wouldn't make sense if he just appeared out of nowhere. Atlantis has never been mentioned before. And now Namor and Atlantis are one of the main parts of a Marvel movie. So things get introduced all the time and you're world building here, right? So they could easily just introduce Dr. Doom, Victor Von Doom as he's not Dr. Doom yet. He could become Dr. Doom in like loosely in the Fantastic Four movie. Uh, but you could at least introduce Victor Von Doom as this like political ruler guy who is he's amassed wealth and power and he's super smart and maybe even already make him a sorcerer of some of some kind. You could do a lot. Um I don't, I, I like that, again, they're all theories, and I like the theories, because I said it already, you have to be able to really slow roll Doctor Doom in here, you can't just spring him on us in the Fantastic Four movie, and then have him in Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, and then he's gone. Unless he's not gone. But most people are assuming Avengers Secret Wars is going to have to do with Doctor Doom, because it is a Doctor Doom-centric story. So I think it's reasonable to assume that he's going to be in it and he's going to be the main guy, or one of the main guys. It's very, very, very delicate. <laughs> it's a very delicate. I know they're only like superheroes and comic books, but like it's become such a big thing now, man, that it is a very delicate thing to handle. So I would kind of like this third plot behind Wakanda replacing T'Challa as Black Panther and then you have the Atlanteans attacking for whatever reason and the introduction of Namor and then this third little behind the scenes thing where oh it was all actually orchestrated by Doctor Doom that would be pretty pretty fucking cool and I am a little stupid I forgot that Black Panther comes out the end in November of this year. So that's the final movie in phase four. And then Quantumania in February kicks off phase five. So I'm a little silly. Um, I forgot that it was coming out in November. But that's the next one that we get. I was, I'm very, I, I went from very uh, hesitant on this movie to pretty intrigued. I would say rather quickly that the trailer definitely got piqued my interest. Um, it, it's, I was saying this whole thing is sensitive with Marvel and the superheroes in these movies. This movie in particular is very sensitive, obviously because of the tragic and untimely death of Chadwick Boseman from cancer. It is something that Marvel did have to prepare for because unbeknownst to the average person, no one knew Chadwick Boseman had cancer while he was filming the first Black Panther. Marvel did. And I... I don't want to say they were probably prepared for this, but maybe it was something that was in the back of Kevin Feige's mind that like, hey, if he dies, we're going to have to have some sort of loose plan to work around that, not replace him, but pick up the pieces afterwards. It's a very unfortunate circumstance, uh, but it, it looks, it looks good. You know, it, it, it looks intriguing. It, it, it looks like something that's, new and definitely going to be exciting 
you know, and, and it looks like something that has, for the first time in Phase 4, really, outside of Spider-Man, something that has real stakes, you know? Thor Love and Thunder didn't really feel like it had real stakes. Obviously, Jane died, and that was supposed to be this huge emotional thing, but, like, she was in the first two Thor movies, and then Natalie Portman left, and she was not in anything else. She was in Endgame in the, in the, for five seconds in the, in the time travels and sequence. So it wasn't emotional. Like, was her death sad? Yeah, of course, because cancer is a very real thing. It's not like she was killed by some, in battle by some mystical being. Like, she died. Because of using Mjolnir, she drained her life force and her body couldn't fight cancer, which is, like I said, very, it's a very real thing. So it's sad, but I think for a lot of people, including myself, that deep emotional connection is something that is gone. And in Spider-Man No Way Home, Aunt May dying, Marissa Tomei, like she really, I think, resonated with a lot of fans and she was a good Aunt May uh, and she had relation, a lot of relationships to a lot of different characters. Um, and, and Peter losing her and then essentially going to being a complete nobody. He has no friends, no family. No one knows who Peter Parker is. Like, he doesn't have Happy anymore. He lost Tony, lost Aunt May, doesn't have MJ or Ned. Doctor Strange still knows who he is, but he doesn't know who Peter Parker is, right? People still know who Spider-Man is. They just don't know he's Peter Parker. And that's sad. Like, that's a real, that's a real loss. And it feels like Wakanda Forever is going to be a movie that, aside from Spider-Man, is going to hold some real emotional weight. So I'm, I'm excited to see how they go about the death of Chadwick Boseman and replacing Black Panther and also name, the introduction of Namor and the Atlanteans. I have really gotten quite excited for this movie. So I'm happy that I feel that way. You know, I'm not, I'm glad I'm not thinking, oh my God, this movie looks like it's going to be a mess. That, cause I'm, I'm glad I'm not thinking that cause it doesn't look like it's going to be a mess. It looks like they really have like a good concise plan with a good, interesting new villain. Um, and they're not, they're not going to just kill off Namor either. And, and that's, I think something that's very important because Marvel, of course, in a lot of their in, in, intro movies, um, like origin story movies, and then sequels that aren't directly tied to other characters, you have cool villains that get killed off. Namely, let's just say the most recent one uh, in the fourth Thor movie, Gore the God Butcher. Cool Thor villain. Um, very cool in the comics. Still good by Christian Bale in the movie dies at the end of the dies at the end of the film. Like that happens a lot in Marvel movies. It's not a secret. They kill off a lot of their villains. Killmonger in the first back, Black Panther. Like amazing villain, Michael B Jordan. Kill them off. It, it it sucks that that happens, but it's kind of the formula that seems to work best for Marvel because the only villains that they really bring back are ones that are going to have some like real significant plot lines. Um, and if you're not going to have a significant plot line in the future, then they just kill you off right there on the spot. Is it fair? Not really. We get robbed of a lot of great villains, but it's the formula that works for them. So 
Namor being the fact that he is sometimes an ally, sometimes a villain, I don't think they'll kill him off. Also, he's like the king of Atlantis. So I, I really think there'll be some type of like mutual understanding that happens at the end, which may feel cheesy, but in the end, like they're going to need Namor to be this uh, alliance character that that helps them and aids them because he would be a powerful ally of course i'm interested interested to see if wakanda forever is going to be the first movie that says the word mutant because i read like i read the caption from the fandom for namor and they specifically say he is a metahuman mutant uh he's a hybrid of an atlantean and a human he's a mutant that is what they said he is, a mutant. They had a real easy chance to just say it in Doctor Strange, and for whatever reason, they decided not to. So I thought that was interesting. Eventually, they're going to have to say it. Um, side note, I could also see Secret Wars being an introduction to the X-Men, because Secret Wars is supposed to be, Secret Wars in the Kang Dynasty is supposed to be this, like, multiver. I would imagine, this is what it's leading up to, is a multiversal war with a bunch of people. We may even see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield come back as the Spider-Man trio with Tom Holland, and maybe Tom Holland gets the black suit, and they, you know, Andrew doesn't know what it is, but Tobey's like freaking out. We could have that. We could have, you know, the Fantastic Four will come in. Maybe the Fantastic Four in a different universe, and then they get pulled into Secret Wars. That's a possibility. Although, if they plan on introducing Doctor Doom into the main timeline MCU, I don't see them doing that. They could easily just make the Fantastic Four in their own movie. I don't really see how that would be a problem. Um, but Secret Wars, again, for the Doctor Doom, I think he battles the Beyonder, and the Beyonder is like this crazy, like <laughs> godly type type figure, and I'm pretty sure Doctor Doom steals his powers. Like, some of the characters that were in Secret Wars, um, Captain America, Cyclops, Wolverine, Hawkeye, The Wasp, Rogue, She-Hulk, who's getting her own show, so she could be in it, uh, The Thing, Captain Marvel, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Hulk, so basically the X-Men, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Hulk, uh, Magneto, Doctor Doom, Doc Ock, The Lizard, Kang, Ultron, Galactus, the Beyonder, like Doctor Doom has Ultron kill Kang, like Ultron's not in it, so I don't know how they're gonna go about that. So it's just you can read the synopsis on like Wikipedia or whatever. It's it's a crazy story, and it really does center around Doctor Doom. So I'm very excited for it, uh, and I'm excited for everything right now that Marvel has slated. It, it, it's a lot, but it's it's very 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 exciting. Uh, to wrap up the show, The Gray Man, literally going to take five minutes on this, maybe not even. It was a fun movie. Like, I, I, did, I didn't hate it. It was a very generic spy action movie thriller that was carried by Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling. And they're just, both of them are just so charismatic and such great actors that it, it, it carried the movie. It really did. And the action sequences were cool. 
and they were fun, but in terms of like plot, it was very uh very bland, you know? Just a very generic vanilla action spy thriller. And I'm done talking about it. Like it was it was fun. Like go watch it, but it, it wasn't really anything crazy. And I think this is what Netflix is talking about. They had like this whole we're gonna pull back on stuff and not green light everything under the sun because they lost a ton of subscribers. This, I think, is one of those movies that they're talking about. A super high budget movie, uh, like in terms of stunts, special effects. Then on top of it, they have to pay Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, and Anna de Armas to be in this Netflix movie that really is super basic, no discernible features other than the names of the cast members. Like that probably cost them a shit ton of money. And you also had the Russo brothers direct it. Like, it's a lot. It got a 48 on Rotten Tomatoes, but it did get a 91% audience score. So, like, it's a very enjoyable movie, but I could definitely see how people are just kind of like, yeah, this is fine, you know? Um, According to Deadline, Netflix, Joe and Anthony Russo and Ryan Gosling are all in on The Gray Man as a sequel and spinoff in the works. So I guess I was wrong. Netflix isn't going to pull back on that. They're actually going to dive headfirst into a a franchise on this movie. Damn. Uh, Anyway, yeah, it's fine. It's a good, enjoyable film. It's fun. You know, it kind of just feels like born identity-ish mixed with James Bond, you know? Uh, But it's fun. It's a fun movie. All right. That'll do it for this episode of From My Point of View. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you as always. Have a great weekend, and I will talk to you all next Wednesday. Yeah.